If you turn to Ruth chapter 3, we're finding ourselves especially now in the middle of a story in the book of Ruth. This is when the screen goes dark in the middle of a movie, and the text come up and says four years later, except for in our case in Ruth's story, it's only about three months later, that's the time of the harvest being done. And it's really meant to bring us to a point of anticipation and suspense in the book of Ruth, because Naomi and Ruth, so far they've been abundantly blessed. They've been given provisions on the fields of Boaz and Bethlehem. Boaz appears to be probably the most righteous Israelite in the story Whereas we have Naomi, in some ways, is a repenting Israelite, and Ruth is a converted Moabite. And Naomi and her daughter-in-law both lost their husbands. They both came back from Moab and found provision in the law of God. God's law dictated that widows were allowed to glean in the fields, and sojourners like Ruth were to be treated as Israelites wished to be treated. And Boaz has gone far above and beyond the law, abundantly blessing Ruth, which in turn blessed Naomi. But as the harvests come to an end, just like any good season might come to an end, the question is, is will they be provided for now? Boaz has really no responsibility to keep blessing Ruth and Naomi. There is no guarantee on his part that he would wish to extend his company to Ruth. So that's where Naomi hatches a plan and where we pick up the story. We're going to cover all of Ruth chapter 3 today. I invite you to stand in honor of reading the Lord's word with me this last time through chapter 3 if you're able to. We read, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, and whose young woman you were, with whose young women you were? See his winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For, my, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. 
But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that this woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. These six saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Father, as Boaz has been richly, abundantly blessing Ruth far more than the law demands, that's my heart for you today, that you would richly bless us abundantly far more than we ever expect in saturating us and nourishing us with your word. Father, would you please remove me, remove my distractions, remove even my sinful thoughts of not feeling qualified, even that focuses on me, and may all of this be about you, and may people have come today to adore you, to learn more about you, to draw closer to you, because whenever we seek your kingdom, all these things will be added to us. So Father, say whatever it is you desire, and give us hearts and minds and spirits receptive to your word that not only hear, but also do, as James tells us. Would you be glorified today, and the body be edified, we pray, Complete these things through the power and work and grace given to us through Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. I remember one September evening calling up Phil and Bonnie while Christy was in Moscow and she attended college there. They had me over for dinner, and I expressed my desire to marry Christy. So Phil asked me to work on his farm for seven years. <laughs> Just kidding. They obviously said yes. We had a great conversation. Christy loves purple, so I ordered a purple engagement ring. Christy, as long as I had known her up to that point, had been reading the New Living Translation of the Bible, so I bought her a nice, thin, leather-looking Bible that I brought today. <laughs> and I put her name on it with my last name. And then I pretty much failed in the proposal. It was pretty unromantic. I had her over at my parents' house one night. The ring was not in yet, but I did have the Bible. Mom was out of town, my dad ate dinner with us, and then he had some other stuff to do in the house. And I told her that I had a present for her, and I presented the Bible, and I, then I asked her to marry me. I didn't get down on my knee, because I had no ring yet. Um, it hadn't come in the mail. I was a pretty impatient guy. And she was going to be going with us the, the next week, me and my parents, to a hockey game, and I figured she could look at dresses in Spokane, so I have to propose. <laughs> I was wrong. I thought we'd be married by before the year ended in 2011, and I was wrong about that. <laughs> she said yes, but we didn't get married until July 2012, and when I did get the ring, she made me go down on bended knee, and I 
posed rightly, so I did. How much society is different nowadays? You know, Christy could have gotten along fine without me, I think. She has a master's degree. She could have got some decent jobs. She was living already in an apartment. She could be well settled for the future. For Naomi, for Naomi and Ruth, a lot is riding on this. We first take note of risk and suspense when we read in Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Since Naomi has first spoken in the book of Ruth, she has been desirous of Ruth to find redemption in her life, to find rest, to find a husband, to be settled and to be redeemed from the tragedy and the loss of her first husband. As I was preparing for this message, I read at least one or two commentaries or study notes that suggested or implied that Naomi really has selfish motivations here for, for Ruth to be married because, well, that would mean Naomi is redeemed once Boaz redeems them. I disagree. If we go back to Ruth 1, verse 9, we see that the first time that Naomi is voicing her concern for her widowed daughters is on the way back to Bethlehem from Moab, and she's wishing them go to go and find rest in Moab, which would have no implications for Naomi. Naomi would not be selfish in wishing that, because if they went to go find rest in Moab, she would not at all be affected. Naomi would likely be back in Israel with maybe less promising prospects for redemption. We don't know how old she is. So I believe Naomi's concern for Ruth and her to be settled is primarily for Ruth's sake and less for Naomi's sake. But the risk builds, as we first note, it is the end of the harvest season. Boaz is going to be winnowing barley. This night, I put a picture on your outlines. It's also up here. That's when the grain is thrown in the air. Chaff, the lousy stuff, is, is separated by the wind as it blows away. Boaz is going to be doing that this night. And they make a festival out of the end of harvest season at times. So Naomi tells Ruth to do something a little uncommon in that day and age, and that is for her to make obvious advances. She basically says, wash yourself Good, put on some perfume, make yourself look pretty, choose wisely what time you wish to approach Boaz right after he eats and drinks, a full tummy, a good cup of wine just to feel pleasant, for enough for good conversation. Don't make sure he's not on edge. You know what? Just let him go to sleep. <laughs> now, we examine something, we, we see some interesting directives of a practice that in my mind, it has, I think, two reasons that... This practice. Vince read for us Ezekiel 16. And Ezekiel 16.8 suggests that Ruth is in essence prompting Boaz to propose marriage. See, God said through Ezekiel to Israel, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. 
I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And so what Ruth is doing is really proverbially buying the wedding ring and the box it comes in, and then she's going to leave it next to Boaz. Uh, Get the hint? (laughs) But she's not being too presumptuous here. Because also we see a visible expression of submission from Ruth. She uncovers his feet, perhaps simply to make sure that when he awakens to find Ruth at his feet, he realizes it was her who uncovered his, his feet. And so we know that she's lying at his feet, not to appear indecent if she were at his side or unseemly, but in submission at his feet, awaiting Boaz's response to what should be a rather obvious request to him at this point. I want you to really see how risky this is. She's putting her reputation on the line. As for Ruth and Naomi, all their provisions have been from Boaz. If Boaz rejects, she cannot just be without a redeemer, but she could be without any of the provision that she has been receiving. And she could be back into this dire straits when they first got to Bethlehem. The harvest season could be over. They could be taken advantage of. Furthermore, despite the obvious pure intentions of Ruth here, anybody might spot her with Boaz and could easily spread rumors. She's going to a place she really doesn't belong to in the middle of the night to uncover the blanket of a social superior. Ruth didn't know how Boaz would respond. Everything would suggest he's been generous and noble, but she simply does not 100% know for certain how Boaz would respond. So there is considerable risk on the line here. But Ruth does it. We're told in verses 5 and 6, and she replied to Naomi, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did, just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Ruth has brave obedience. Either that, or naive obedience, or desperate obedience, because what else is she to do? This is, in some ways, an opportunity she knows that might not come again, or come just at any time. I believe she has brave obedience, and I believe it's really an obedience that we should learn to mimic. If we take decrees from a greater guardian, from the Holy Spirit, we are, are we willing to say to him, all that you say I will do? Are we willing to do what we are commanded every time? Every time. Some of you are maybe in this position right now. You, you say, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm in a rut. I don't feel like I'm growing I even read my Bible, I even pray every day, but I feel like my walk with God is stagnant. I've been there too, and I can tell you right now, the answer is this, we're not obedient. James 1.21 starts this way, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. We receive, we believe, and then we obey, and we do. Ruth is in some ways a babe in the faith. 
During the time of the judges, not the best time to be a believer. Nevertheless, Naomi says, I want you to be redeemed. I want you to be married, to be settled. Uh, The harvest is done. This might be one of the last opportunities. Make it a good one. See what Boaz will do. Here's how you do it. The law of Moses says you do have a chance to be redeemed, so go and do. Ruth says, okay, and she does. See, a lot of us, I think, say, okay, and then apparently we've been lying, or we end up afraid. So we said okay, but we don't do. Receive, believe, obey, do. Let's see what Ruth does in response to the word uh, given to her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Many speculate here that Boaz might be on what is a night watch. I'll explain here in a minute. His heart was merry, could mean anything from drunk to just build well. I'm going to assume that if he was drunk, this situation would have gone a lot differently. So I'm going to assume that he's just filled well. He's sleeping at the end of the heap of grain, which could also be for privacy to sleep, but also it's possible that this could be the lookout for thieves. If thieves come in, they've got to come in probably at the end of grain. They just can't barge through in the middle of it. So kind of a defended place to sleep at. Ruth comes in softly in stealth, not wanting to be seen or thought indecent. She uncovered his feet and lays down. He's startled when he woke up. Uh, verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I want to rewind the proverbial movie and go to the first scene where Boaz met Ruth, because there's a little bit of deja vu going on here. First off here, in Ruth 3.9, says this, I am Ruth, your servant. If you highlight, circle, underline, I would highlight that word, your servant. Spread your wings, highlight the word wings, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. A few weeks ago, we talked about when Boaz first met Ruth. Ruth comes and she gleans in Boaz's fields. Uh, The wording says she just happened to come to that field, probably implying she didn't know who it was. Boaz, but God knew who it was, Boaz shows up around lunchtime and asks, who is this girl? His workers give him the scoop. She's that Moabite daughter-in-law who came back with, with Naomi. She's been here since morning doing what the law allows her to do. Boaz responds with grace and basically says to Ruth, you'll be taken care of here. Don't go anywhere else. I can't protect you there. Stay in my fields. My men won't touch you. Drink the water that I put out for the men, so stay hydrated, that sort of thing. And then an interesting and familiar exchange takes place between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz says in Ruth 2.12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. And spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So, 
First, Boaz really offers a prayer. He says, May the God of Israel bless you as you have come to take refuge under his wings. Sounds familiar, does it? And then I couldn't find any English translation that made the correct differentiation here because I found this to be really significant to the story. The original Hebrew word here in Ruth 2.13, servant, is um, different than the original Hebrew word in Ruth 3.9, servant. All English translations, they might change servant to handmaiden or handservant, but they all translate those two different Hebrew words in the exact same English word. But the actual language when Boaz first meets Ruth in Ruth 2.19 is more likely of a female slave, the most humble of female slaves. Sometimes it could even denote a concubine. In Ruth 3.9, when Ruth is proposing marriage, Ruth reminds Boaz of how he has lifted her up. And she then compares herself to more of a maid, higher ranking than slaves, um, even kind of like Hagar, who could give birth to heirs. She's making the subtle proposal and saying, I am the slave whom you lifted up in your graces, and I have become your maid. And then she is in essence saying, I want you to answer your prayer of me finding refuge under God's wings. I want you to be his wings. Do you see that? Boaz hasn't even gotten a chance to talk here. He just asked who she was. It's, it's dark. She looks nice, probably a lot more dressed up than he's used to seeing her. They're not in a usual spot when they see each other. And has, as has been the norm from the, the beginning of the evening, she has continued in her presumption. She just blurts out a proposal right there. She was probably nervous. She probably wanted to, didn't want to get caught, make too much noise. She wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. So what's Boaz going to say? She's done all the pursuing. She's done the proposal for marriage, but it is up to Boaz. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Can you imagine Ruth taking a breath of fresh air here? She hasn't been reading him wrong. He has been gracious and abundantly helpful because there was a true love behind it. He hasn't just been gracious for goodness sake, for business, or or to keep up a good reputation because he does love her. I don't want you to miss this, though. We first ran into this word last week. Boaz says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. The word kindness is the word has said, the same word for covenant loyalty of God, steadfast love, the mercies of God. Really the Old Testament counterpart to the New Testament word for grace, unmerited favor. And last week Naomi was saying that God is showing his kindness, his ascent, his faithfulness to his people Israel, namely to her part of the clan of Elimelech. And now Boaz is saying to Ruth, I see that has said in you. I see that covenant loyalty and that steadfast love in you. Why? He says the first kindness that he noted in her was Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. That's the first, in their first conversation, that's what he commended her on. Ruth left everything, left everything for the God of Israel. 
out of devotion and loyalty to Naomi. That was the first kindness. But now, Boaz, not in a self-serving way, but says, I feel blessed. I feel God's covenant, loyalty, kindness, and love, and grace that you would consider me over so many more eligible bachelors. And before you say, well, Ruth is a Moabite, wouldn't she have not had that many prospects? Not according to Boaz. He then says in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. She is a worthy woman, virtuous, morally strong, outstanding. What's interesting about the kind of woman that she is, is where the Hebrew canon, where the Jewish people put this book in their Bible. We know that the Bible is a library of books. And the Hebrew canon of the Old Testament considered Ruth one of the writings that went along with books like Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And Ruth comes after, a few books after, the book of Proverbs. And it reminds me of the last chapter, Proverbs 31, as you know, ends with describing a woman asking an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. This word excellent is the exact same Hebrew word for worthy here in Ruth 3.11. As if to say Solomon wrote out a description and then Ruth fits that description. Boaz says, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Right? Though a Moabite, you've come to be an Israelite, and you do it better than many. <laughs> you're, you're, you faithfully look out for Naomi, you work hard, you're humble, and you bless me with this proposal. And so he says that he will do all that she asks. If I have anything to do with it, Ruth, there will be a wedding. I don't want you to miss this too. This has said that Boaz notes that Ruth is showing him is the foundational purpose for this accepted proposal. That is, Boaz is in essence saying, more than just providing for you, more than just you being gratuitous for me for what I've done, more than just following the law of me redeeming you, which binds you to me, is this covenant loyalty, this has said, this steadfast, merciful love. Even if Ruth was doing it out of obedience, obedience to Naomi, even if Ruth and Naomi are relying on the law of redemption, Boaz knows it when he sees it. The fact that you're coming to me and proposing to me and you're making the proposal, and the fact that I know that there are townsmen in Bethlehem who would want to be with you, yet you chose me. That's love, Ruth. You love me. How can I turn down love from someone I love back? Do you hear that? Boaz loved her first. Naomi saw that has said in him, but now Boaz sees in Ruth a return. This is important because as Boaz and Ruth has symbolized and expressed to us all along in the biblical sense, this is another expression of Christ and his bride, the church. You and I come to Jesus to be redeemed, and Jesus says, the covenant loyalty I give to you, I see it as reciprocated because of your presumption to rely on me. I see that you love me back. I see that though I had no form or majesty that you should look at me and no beauty that you should desire me. 
And that you could have rested your love and your affection and your desires for wholeness and satisfaction on anything else that might touch your fancy. But you come to me, Jesus of Nazareth. I will do what you ask. You see that? Do you see how that happens? And just as Jesus has a task based on the law to perform to redeem us, so does Boaz for Ruth. That's what he tells her. He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. There are perhaps a few laws coming into play here when it comes to Ruth and Naomi. And really the family of Elimelech being redeemed. We have the law of redemption, which covers property and values and so forth, as well as the law of leveret marriage to consider. Because of Elimelech's journey to Moab and Naomi's return, it may be hard to completely interpret accurately from the law what to do about Ruth and Naomi. It would seem that Naomi is the person to be married. We don't know. Uh, despite the fact that Naomi might be more lawfully makes sense to be the one married, Naomi is being selfless and wants Ruth married, and Ruth is proposing, and Boaz is accepting. But he notes that there is a more nearer family member in relation to Naomi, and he has more legal right to marry Ruth. This isn't the 21st century where Ruth and Boaz might be able to choose who they want to marry in this situation. If Ruth was single, born Israelite, Boaz wouldn't have a problem, but that's not the case. We are never told how Boaz or the nearer relative is of closer relation to Elimelech in his family. We are told in Leviticus 25 in laws about redemption, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells everything to the stranger or sojourner with you to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. This could be the law that Boaz is going off of, though you might have noticed it's not 100% descriptive of Elimelech's family. It, It could be that Boaz is saying, If I take you, Ruth, under my wings, I don't want people to feel like that they have a claim on you, nor that I am taking you without considering the law. I want to do this right. And it could be that Boaz is a distant cousin and the other closer in kin is a nephew or uncle or first cousin. So it's a bit of a a hurdle. It might be a bit of a letdown for Ruth and Naomi who have made this plan and, and hope it comes into fruition. And despite the eagerness and the kindness of Boaz, it seems genuinely touched and sincerely wants to say yes. Ruth and Naomi are still hearing a yes if all these ducks line up in a row now. Which could be a little nerve-wracking. We continue, though. So she, that is Ruth, lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Uh, interesting note real quick here. I want to pause. The words, how did you fare, are really the same exact Hebrew words as Boaz's in verse 9. And he said there, who are you? 
And you look at that and you say, those would look like two different sentences. You would be correct. <laughs> the point being, as the ESV and many English translations do correctly imply, Naomi is really asking, so who are you? Mrs. Boaz or still Ruth? Right? How did you fare? How did the marriage proposal go? That's what they're saying. So we continue in verse 16. Then she said, that is Ruth, she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I love how Boaz cares for Ruth. He's not ignorant of how the situation might look, so he gets her out of the threshing floor before it's too bright, too early. He says, we have your reputation to keep. You and I didn't do anything indecent here, but let's not give anybody the chance to talk. And then he sends her away with an interesting, just six measures of barley. The author, unlike the time in chapter 2 where he recorded the amount of grain that Ruth gleaned, he just notes that Boaz gives her six measures, not telling what these measures are. You know, that measure could have been one grain. Oh, I gave you six grains. No. However, I believe the Bible doesn't waste ink. And we see lots of symbolism in the Bible surrounding numbers. Six is a number of incompletion. So this could be a symbolic promise to Ruth and Naomi that Boaz is saying, I'm abundantly blessing you still. Take all this grain, and I want you to visibly note that I'm not done blessing you. It's incomplete, and I will keep my word. As Naomi says, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. It's interesting that the number of incompletion, six, first shows up in creation. And what's interesting with that sixth day of creation, kind of like Boaz and Ruth here, their minds are made up and the plan is in force, and there is a tension between incompletion and completion, there's an already not yet attitude to it. Because for God, the world was, was made in six days, but the seventh day was still vital to creation. We read in Genesis 1, 31 through chapter 2, verse 3, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, and listen to this, on the seventh day God finished his work. Do you hear that? The heavens and the earth were finished, but it was on the seventh day, so Moses tells us, that God finished his work, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And just like God found rest during its completion, so Naomi has been saying to Ruth, I am seeking your rest. And Boaz gives Ruth and Naomi six measures of barley, in essence saying, consider it done. Rest is coming. I will accomplish your rest. Do not doubt me. Friends, I want you to know that we live between the sixth and the seventh day. We live having received the six bushels of grain, and I would say we are on midday on the seventh day because just as Boaz needs to deal with the law first and then marry Ruth, so Jesus has dealt with the law, and we just await consummation with him, our groom, our redeemer, and a visible expression of that. 
So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the Hebrew author tells us. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Talking about the disobedience of the ancient Israelites who had to wait 40 years before they entered their rest. So you might say, how do we keep from falling into disobedience? It was so neat whenever I realized this in the book of Ruth. It's been a recurring theme in the book of Ruth. Why did Ruth come to the threshing ground? Because Naomi told her. Why did Naomi send Ruth to be redeemed by Boaz? How did Naomi even know that Boaz could redeem Ruth in this manner? Because it's written in the law, the word of God. Hasn't this been the preserving power of Ruth and Naomi since day one back into Bethlehem? They got to Bethlehem and Ruth goes and gleans among the fields. Why? The law of God in Leviticus lays out a law for poor widows that they may glean in the fields. Both or Boaz meets Ruth and he beyond blesses her. Why? There's another law in Leviticus about treating foreigners and sojourners as you wish to be treated. The end of the harvest is coming, and Naomi wonders, how will Ruth find rest? How will she be taken care of? There's another law of God about redeemers. And so again, Ruth and Naomi fall back on the word of God to be preserved for, to strive to enter that rest. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us. He then moves on to say, let's read it in context. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And we might ask how. And the author continues, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then the author states that we are exposed by it, and that we are to give an account, but the word of God is twofold. As I said earlier in the book of James, we receive, we believe, and then we obey, and we do. How are we to strive to enter the rest of God. The word reveals to us through Christ our salvation or through our failings if we don't accept Christ our damnation. It's our salvation when we receive and accept God's grace to change and it's our damnation when we receive and live in judgment unchanged. So I exhort you to receive, to believe, to obey and to do For Naomi says to Ruth, should I not seek rest for you? And then sends her to their redeemer, Boaz. And God says to us, should I not seek rest for you? And sends us to our redeemer, Jesus. So Ruth goes to Boaz and lays down at his feet in submission, waiting to receive redemption from him, as we go to Jesus and lay down at his feet in submission, waiting to receive redemption from him. And Ruth expresses in her humility that Boaz has raised her lowly estate in his provisions for her, as God says he exalts the humble, raising our lowly estate from sinner to saint. Boaz recognizes in Ruth that she has forsook other more tantalizing options to pursue him, so God recognizes when we forsake worldly temptations to pursue him. And Boaz promises Ruth that he will betroth her lawfully through redemption, as Jesus takes his bride lawfully through redemption. And Boaz leaves a sign that their marriage is an already not yet completion. So God leaves his sign that his purchase of us is already and not yet completed. Let's pray. 
Father, um, thank you for loving us first. So as I was just sharing my testimony today with a friend that I professed to be a believer at a very young age on my mother's lap. But there was a process before I began to understand what it means to love you. And so Ruth professed that she wanted to be an Israelite. But maybe she didn't even realize when Boaz says, I see that covenant loyalty in you towards me. So, Father, we're so grateful that we're in a marriage with you. We sometimes want to focus on all things other than love, because love seems like such an emotional thing that we, we struggle to figure out with our spouses or friends and family. But, Father, we're so grateful that the strongest bond between you and us is love. That we would presume to rely upon you, and you say, yeah, that's love. You love me. Father, we're grateful for this. We pray that we might share and experience this love with one another, as John so many times exhorts us to in his letters. But also that others might see that love we have for you and for one another and come to this community of believers and say, I see that love. I want to experience it as well. Father, would you give us boldness to speak to those around us? Would you give us boldness to know that we should quiet our lips and just share love to them? Father, we love you and we thank you and we pray and ask all these things in the name and work and grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.